0: to introduce sister tasha shoemake who's going to come and speak to us and she um is a great lady um i could say a lot about her she's very she's first of all she loves to work with kids and she was just telling me just a minute ago that she would prefer to be in a vbs instead of being in a a setting like this but I'm glad that she decided to come and be with us. She traveled yesterday all day from Canada, got in, didn't get here until 1.30. So I know that she's going to bless us because it's been a sacrifice for her to get here. But I just want to say thank you very much, Tasha, for saying yes and being here with us. And we know that we're going to hear something great from you. And we have been praying for this day. and We know that God's going to bless We want you to come and speak your heart to us. Oh, Something real quick. She does have some roots here. Her grandfather was Howard Boyd. Some of you know that name. So it's just kind of good to have her here and to um, share some time with us, knowing that she has deep roots in this area. So pray with her. Be a blessing with her as she speaks to us today.
1: Good morning. This is kind of a cool thing. I've been to this church many times throughout my life, but I hadn't really thought about it until this morning when we were sitting in the office that this is the church that my grandfather came into the truth in and where he was saved. So this really is the, um, the core of my heritage in um, the truth. Is in in this city and in this very church and um, My grandfather passed away many years ago, but um, it would be really neat if he could know I was here today doing this Because um, there's no telling how many prayers he must have prayed for me My parents did not live for God. I was not raised in the church And um, I remember coming here some as a little girl um, for holidays maybe, occasionally. I had a couple of aunts that came to this church and then I had a couple of aunts that went to Brother Morton's church in Fresno. And that was about the extent of my exposure to um, Pentecost. We never lived near Um, any of those places. My parents were total hippies. We were mostly living in the country. My dad was um, growing marijuana, and we were, um, you know, not going to church. I had a really good family, a really, really good upbringing, um, really great parents, just not godly parents. But, you know, when I very first knew that I wanted to be a Christian was in my grandparents' home. And I didn't even realize that it was God. I just knew I loved what I felt in their house. And though I had a happy home at at my house, it didn't feel the same as their house. There was something in their house and in my aunt's house that I loved the way it felt. And that, I was literally five years old six years old I didn't even recognize that it was God that started my journey in searching for God was my exposure to what I felt and so from that day in to this day the way that God has led me and directed me has always been by what I feel and I know that I know the truth by the way that it feels and the way that I started associating what I felt that I liked the way I started figuring out that that was God was not because they told me or they taught me, it's because they would have this music always playing in their house. And I started noticing that the songs would say things about God and Jesus. So then I started figuring out that that feeling that I liked had to do with God and Jesus. So then I decided I wanted to go to church, but we didn't live anywhere near a church. And so I started going to church with any of my friends who went to church, um, all different religions. I think the only, I didn't have a friend at the time that was Catholic, so I've never been in a Catholic church, but I've been in a lot of other kinds of church. But, you know, I would go to church with my friends, and I wouldn't feel that feeling. So then that was kind of confusing to me because I thought that, feeling meant church because it meant God. And that's when I started learning that God is not really in every church. And so I started visiting churches until I found one that had that feeling that I was after. And that's as God began to direct my steps as a young child was by me following God what I felt because I didn't have any answers I didn't know what anything meant I used to just lay in my bed at night and tell God I wanted to be a Christian and I didn't even know what that was I would say God I want to be a Christian show me how to be a Christian and he sure enough did He began to teach me how to be a Christian without a single person teaching me a Sunday school lesson, without a single person telling me what it took and what I needed to do. God began to direct my steps. That wasn't even what I was really going to talk about. But as I got here and I started thinking about um, just God's promises and his answers to prayers, my grandfather did get to see me in the truth he did get to see me live for god and i just think back to the promises that abraham had and how many of those promises he did not get to see but that we see still today coming to pass that our prayers and god's promises never stop working even when we can't see them and even when we can't feel them. Even when we don't have any proof that he's doing anything, we just have to know God's word says that he never stops moving and he never stops working. And it never ceases to amaze me that we look around and see all around us lives changed, people that have have created a better life, that have made better choices all by turning their hearts towards God and all by following God. And we see the change in them and we see the difference in them, but we still have negative thoughts so many times. We think of all the things that could happen, all the people that are not gonna agree with us, all the ways that it's gonna cause a rift. Or it's going to come between us and someone else if we make this change. And um, my topic today is not just one specific thing. I want to talk about the promises of God. I want to talk about putting action to living for God to see his promises. I want to talk about resistance that comes with that. And then I want to talk about listening and how to hear the voice of God in your life. when we make a decision to follow God, the Bible even says, take up your cross and follow me. We have to take action and do something to make that happen. If we want the blessings and the favor of God in our life, we have to put action to <coughs> the promises of God. His word is full of promises, full of covenants. If you do this, I will do this. There's always a responsibility for us to do our part. When we go to, for example, this is kind of a weird example, but I was sitting in a restaurant recently and I got to thinking about this. I was looking at the menu. Has anybody been to Cheesecake Factory? And their menu's like a book. I mean, if you haven't been there a lot, it takes you a long time to figure out what you wanna eat because they're just offering so many things. It makes it so complicated. You're turning the pages, and there's they, they make this, and they make this, and they have this, and they have that. And we're looking at the menu, and we believe what it says. It's saying there's a cheeseburger, there's a chicken sandwich, there's a Caesar salad, there's spaghetti, all of these things. So do we go in the restaurant and look at that and go, oh, sure, probably not. Or, oh, yeah, they say they have that, but they're not really going to have that. We believe that what they say is offered really is available. If it's on the menu, we can order it. You can have this. We offer this on the left as a column of all the things that they make, all the things that's available to you, all the things that you can order. This is available here. And on the right is what it's going to cost you to get that. Now, genuine. Generally, a steak is going to cost you more than a hamburger. So we look at the menu. This is what we can have. This is what we have to pay if we want to have this. It's like a trade. We make a choice. Do I want to pay this for that? Do I like it enough? Do I want it enough that I'm going to pay that price? For that thing and that's so much like the promises of god in our life the bible is full of examples like this of covenant relationship if you want this then you do this to get that if you do this i'll do this there's so much give and take and ebb and flow in our relationship with god and in his word second chronicles is one of my favorite scriptures because it reminds me of this every time i think about it If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The very first word is if. If my people will do this, if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek his face, If we will turn from our wicked ways. But the very first word is if. So many times we want the promises of God. We want his favor. We want his blessings. We want all the good stuff. But we don't want it to cost us anything. We don't want to have to do anything to get it. And a really popular thing in the Christian world today is, you know, just grace and love and we're not saved by works. Well, I don't believe that we're saved just by works, but I do believe it takes works to get the promises of God. And so in turn, that really is a part of our salvation because things are required of us. The Bible makes it so clear. And if you don't think anything's required of you to be saved or to be blessed or to see the promises of God fulfilled in your life, then you're not reading your entire Bible it's all throughout the Bible. If my people will do this, then I will do this. It's a, it's a trade. It's, it's, a, it's a pact. It's a vow. It's a promise. You do your part, I'll do my part. He is a reciprocal God. He reciprocates. We bless him. He blesses us in return. There's always going to be a give and a take and a give and a take. We are receiving a blessing, but we're also giving And obeying, and the key to the promises of God are in our obedience, obeying his word, obeying our calling, obeying our our purpose, not just rules and regulations, but doing what we're called to do. That's a part of obedience. Doing that, God created us all for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And we all have a very specific job to do. And if we are not obeying that calling and that purpose in our life, something's not getting done. It's not an accident that you are on this earth. There's a certain reason. There's a person that only you can reach. There's a job that only you can do because even though a lot of people might be able to do the same thing as you, they're not going to do it the same way you do it. And God wants you to do it your way. He created you exactly as you are on purpose. Whatever your disposition is, whatever your personality is, however, that's also not, you know, a get out of jail, jail free card of like, well, this is just the way I am, you know, I'm not going to, I don't need to improve, I don't need to work on myself, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying the core of who we are, God is going to use that, because that's why he made you that way, because that's what he needed, that's what he needed in you, wherever he leads you and directs you, he needs you to be exactly the way that you are, and exactly who you are. And that's all a part of the covenant relationship of God. If we want the promises of God, we can have them. It's really that simple. All we have to have is faith to believe that. If we want it, we can have it. We can have it all. I want it all. I want every single thing that God will give me. You know, I selfishly want to be blessed. I want every promise. I want every blessing. I want every good thing And I've made up my mind I'm willing to pay for it. I'm willing to pay the price. Amen. And I don't expect to get it for nothing. But when I read my Bible and I see the benefits and I see the cost, the benefits are so much better than the cost. The benefits so far outweigh the cost. This living for God and this life that we live in following the word of God and consecrating ourselves, it is the best life. It is such a blessed life. I honestly and truly feel like even if there were no heaven or hell, I would still choose this life. The quality of life that comes with following God's plan, there's just I I mean, I honestly, personally can't compare it because I've never, I've never not done that. Ever since I was young, I started, I made the decision to live for God and to, to be a Christian. I started living the way that I felt like God was directing me to live. So I didn't do a lot of bad things, but I know plenty of people who have. They have a lot of regrets. I have most of my family members who have a lot of regrets, they have a lot of hard, hard things, and there is nothing, I don't care how great your party is, there is nothing like laying your head down on the pillow at night and knowing that you're okay. You're okay. You're free of guilt, you're free of regret, you're free of shame. I'm okay with God. I mean, living for God is its own kind of party. It's a different kind of party than maybe what's going on at the bar or at the club or wherever people party. It's a different kind of party, but it's a better party. It's a better party. Because we don't have to live with a bunch of regret. That keeps me going. That keeps me fueled when I look at my kids and I raise my kids in the truth and I raise my kids to love God and they're getting to the age or are already at the age where they're making their own choices and they're making their own decisions, and there's not a whole lot I can do about it. And I thank God every day that my kids are making good decisions. They're not having to have a bunch of sad stories. They're not living with a bunch of regrets and shame and guilt. There is no life like it. God's promises really are true. If you really follow his instructions, he will come through for you and do exactly what he says. The Bible is full of all the things that God has for us. And it's so exciting and it's so encouraging when you look and find something new, like, oh, I didn't even realize. A new word that I hear a lot right now is people like manifesting. Um, I manifested that good parking spot or whatever. I don't really get it. I don't, I don't really know exactly what that means, but it kind of sounds good, and I, I think it's connected to faith or something, speaking into existence what you want to happen. You know, and I, and I do believe in pod- positive mental attitude. I do. Um, and I'm always telling that to my kids as well. But I've been practicing it and trying it out, and it is working I literally say things like, I know God's going to give me a good parking spot right here. And then I wait and see, and I get a good parking spot. I'm like, thank you, God, for this good parking spot. And you know what else I've learned? Is the more gratitude I show, the better stuff I get, the better perks. I literally walk through my house and say, God, thank you for my house. Thank you. I love big bathtubs. And I, every time I take a bath, I tell God, thank you for this bathtub. God, thank you that I have a big bathtub. Like, you know I love baths. You gave me this bathtub. Thank you for that. What a blessing. The more I thank God for weird little things like that, the more blessings I'm getting. I'm not just saying that. It is the truth. <laughs> maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe that's what manifesting is. I don't know. I'm going to study it out and see. But definitely I believe it our words have so much power our words are are putting things in action and when we speak something it is activating something so we can speak doubt and fear and negativity or we can speak speak all kinds of positive things even if we don't 100% believe it just start speaking it speak it in faith God wants good things for you He wants to bless you. So when you say things like, God, I know you're going to bless me with a good job. Or, God, I know that you're going to bless me with a godly, strong husband. I know you're going to bless me with good kids. You're not speaking out of order. Those are things that are the will of God. And you're speaking the will of God. And you're claiming it. You're speaking it in faith. And God responds to that. (laughs) Amen. So we decide, yeah, I believe that. I want that. I'm going to, then now what? Now, now what do we do? We've decided, I want to make a change. Or I want to make a change to live for God. Or I want to make a change to do more for God. I've been living for God for years, but I've never really stepped out of my comfort zone. You know, I've never really pushed myself to grow in areas that, I don't feel entirely comfortable in, but when we make that decision, I want to do that. We have to put action behind that decision, so now what? You know, now what do we want to do, and most of the time when I'm talking to people, it's usually teenagers or kids, so the, the way that I would talk to a teenager would be, you know, in this way, so forgive me if I, if you feel like I'm you know, I, there are lots of people in here my age and even older, and so I don't want to be talking to you like you, that I know more than you, but it's just what I'm used to, teenagers. So instead of wasting hours and years and days trying to figure out my perfect next move, I remember being that way as a teenager. I really desperately wanted to do the will of God, but I couldn't figure out what, how do you know what that is? And I talk to teenagers all the time still. who say, how do I know what the will of God is? How do I find my place? You know, how do I know what my calling is? I'm graduating high school. How do I know what to do next? And I feel like the answer to that is just do something. Start taking action. And the answers are found in the action, not in the thinking the answers will reveal themselves in the action. You start following what feels right, following the doors that God opens, following the needs. Sometimes we look around and see a need, and we think, well, I could do that. I could help with that. It's not really what I love, but I but I could help, at least for now. And so we step outside. We fulfill a need. I've done this so many times. It, I can't even count. There are so many times that I've been in and out of the worship team, for example, and that's not really my thing. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's not what I'm really good at, but I can hold my part, and I can do it. So anytime there's some gap in the worship team and we, they need somebody, I end up being in the worship team. But as soon as they have somebody to fill that spot, I get out of the worship team <laughs> because it's not what I love. It's not what I'm good at, but I'm willing to do it. They need a bus driver, I've been a bus driver. They need help in the kitchen, I started helping in the kitchen. We cook on Sunday nights, and we really needed more help in the kitchen. So I created a kitchen team, and I started cooking on Sunday nights. But I love it. I started loving it. Now, I sang in the worship team for months and years, never loved it did it because they needed me to help do it, but I never loved it. I was just being obedient, I was trying to be helpful, I was trying to just do whatever God put before me. Cause you know when you pray those prayers, God use me, God I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. Believe that he's gonna put you to the test to see if you really mean it. I mean standing here today is an example of that. You know the minute we start praying, God I'll do anything, you open the doors. Well, he starts opening doors that you don't necessarily wish to walk through. But I also believe if we don't walk through him, the next time we tell him that, he's not going to believe us. And I want what God has for me, even if it's what I don't think that I need to be doing. If he has something for me, I'm going to make sure I do my best to do it. So anyways, I started working in the kitchen. Unexpectedly loved it. I mean, I do love feeding people, and I love cooking, and I love all that, but it is hard. It is a lot of work. It's physically exhausting. It's certainly not glamorous. I have to miss church on a Sunday night to do it. It's super stressful because we have to cook for, we're cooking for 400 people. It has to be ready at a certain time, and then you need it to taste good. And we're, re- we're multiplying recipes, like, by 35, it's stressful. Just find, just getting the ingredients l- list together is stressful because what if you do it wrong? And you'd be wasting a lot of money. I mean, the first time we did it, I was so stressed. I was thinking like, oh, God, all these people are going to come out here. They're expecting something good to eat. What if I didn't get the numbers right? What if there's too much of this or that? It's not going to taste right. What if it's not ready in time? I mean, there are so many what ifs. But when you put yourself out there and you just say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a try. I'm quaking in my boots. I'm totally scared. I'm nervous. I hate it. I hate that feeling. You do it. And then you start to love it. And that's something that I started to love. And now I'm getting really good at it. I am telling you, I feel like if someone said, can you cook for 100? I'd be like, oh, yeah, no problem in my sleep. I mean, the intimidation level, I it is it's so cool because the only thing that would intimidate me is if someone said can you cook for 800 but I've been cooking for 400 for a year and a half I can cook for 200 with my hands behind my back you know you put yourself out there you start speaking enough I'm hopefully going to get better at it you start singing you start getting better at it you start talking to people about God, you start being less intimidated, you start having a boldness, you start feeling like, it's not that hard, I'm actually kind of good at it. I mean, but we never know these things until we put ourselves out there and we try. The Bible says we must become like little children if we want to see the kingdom of God. And I really think that so much of that means if you, if you watch a child... They're excellent guides if you really watch them. They're so unintimidated. I mean, we're talking a little kid, not a kid who's already being influenced by his peers. They're, they 100% expect what you say. If you say, we're getting an ice cream, well, they're getting an ice cream. They totally, totally believe they're getting an ice cream. They don't question it, analyze it. Well, I don't know if I'm really worthy. I don't know if I really deserve it. You know. Is she really going to do it? What kind of ice cream? How many ice creams? At exactly what time are we getting ice cream? You just tell them we're going to get ice cream later, and they are happy all day about the fact that they're getting ice cream later. Right? But we question everything because we learn to doubt ourselves. We learn to doubt God. We learn to feel unworthy or incapable. People around us say things to us that make us feel like we're not good enough. We tell ourselves we're not good enough. They haven't yet learned to worry about what other people think. We learn to worry about whatever other people think. They don't even realize that perhaps they're not as good at something as Billy Next Door is because they think they're good at everything. They can do anything. I remember my brother, when he was little, asking my mom, how many things can I be when I grow up? Because he wanted to be Spider-Man. He wanted to be a firefighter. He wanted to be a construction worker. He wanted to be a police officer. I mean, it was such a big decision. How many things can I be? Because he felt like, you know, anything he decided, he could be it. And I wish that we didn't lose that. If we just decide, what do I love? What do I want to do? What do I want to be? And just go be it. And just go do it. And don't overthink it. And don't let other people intimidate you for it. We're so conditioned to just be mediocre and status quo and the same as everyone else. Because anytime we step outside of the norm, it feels scary. And so we feel that fear, or we feel that intimidation, or that uncertainty. And the easiest thing to do is to step right back where you don't feel that feeling, because that feels better. It would feel better for me if I was in bed right now reading a novel, <laughs> right? So we, everyone around us is whether we realize it or not. We don't want to be discouraging to people, but we discourage people all the time. They have some lofty idea or some extravagant dream, and the first thing we say is, "Oh, are you sure? Like, how's that going to work? Well, what about how much money is it going to make? I mean, aren't you afraid of this? Aren't you afraid of that? I mean, we all do it all the time to each other." without even realizing that we're really chipping away at people's um, dreams, at their ambitions, because we're afraid. Everyone's afraid to risk. Everyone's afraid to put themselves out there. Some things we do are a physical risk. Some things we do are a risk for our pride. We're gonna be embarrassed. We're gonna make a fool out of ourselves. It's not gonna go over well. Or. We're afraid that we aren't smart enough, we don't know enough, we can't really do the job. There are so many things to be fearful about. You know, you don't have to look long or hard to find something to be fearful of. The test is in our obedience whether we're ready, whether we're willing to obey the call to do more and to be more because it is a risk we're taking. We, when we step outside of our comfort zone, we are obeying our calling because our calling is never gonna be something that leaves us where we are and never requires us to get better, never requires us to grow. Our calling and our, our, our purpose can change throughout our life, it evolves as we grow. What I'm doing now is not what I was doing 15 years ago, and it won't be what I'm doing in 20 years because my age determines that, what I'm doing. I mean, there was a long phase of my life where my main thing I did was raise my kids. That was my number one priority, and I wasn't doing a lot of outside things other than that. I felt like that was my calling. My kids were my mission field, and they were more important than me putting on some event at church or being in the choir or whatever. But my kids are grown and older now, so now I have more freedom to step out and do more things that God is leading me to and calling me to because I don't have quite the same responsibility at home time-wise with my children because they've grown past that. My children are doing things in ministry that I've never done. They have different talents and abilities than me. They have different callings than me. They're doing different things than me. So, when you step out, expect resistance. Expect it to be hard. Don't expect it to be easy. Amen. I wish we would all really, really believe that. So, so many times, as soon as we step out and we do something different, we start getting a lot of, um, what's it called? Laugh not lash back. What's that word? I hear my kids say it. What? Backlash? Is that what you said? You know what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) And we see it as a sign as, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. Because it's going wrong, it's hard, it's not working out. Oh no, I shouldn't have. But instead, we should see it as a sign that for sure we're on the right track. For sure, the enemy, along with all the naysayers, aren't happy about it. Right? I heard a quote by, I think it was Michael Jordan. I wish I would have written it down. I have it written down somewhere, but it's so good. when he says, I've tried and tried and failed over and over and over again, and that is why I succeed. I failed over and over and over again, and that is why I succeed. Because, of course, we're going to fail at something somewhere along the way. Failure doesn't mean defeat. Failure means we're trying and we have to try it a different way. We have to keep trying. A child's learning to walk. They fall down. They don't just lay there on the ground and go, can't walk. It's just, I'm never going to be able to walk. I'm just not meant to walk. I'm just going to, you know, oh, well, I did try. They just get straight back up and keep trying. They try and they try and they keep trying and they keep trying. And sometimes they get hurt and sometimes they cry. But they just never give up and they just keep trying until eventually they're walking. And then they're running. And we wish they would have given up. (laughs) The moment we started following God is the very moment that we got into a spiritual battle. We basically have a target on our heads because the enemy of our soul does not want us to be saved. He cannot be saved. He doesn't want us to be able to be saved. So anytime we do something that is for sure getting us on the right track and is gonna cause us to fulfill our purpose and our calling, he's gonna fight us on it, right? People seem to think that when they face resistance, somehow God has left them. But I would submit that I would be really concerned if you're a follower of God and you're not experiencing resistance. If you're not facing resistance, maybe it's an indication that you're going in the same direction as your enemy. You know, think about that. If the devil's not fighting you, he's not intimidated by you. He's not worried about anything you're doing. And that's what we should be afraid of. What we should fear is a lack of resistance. Besides, we all know if we've ever lifted a weight or done a single exercise, the burning and the difficulty and the pain is what makes you stronger. And that's why a lot of us don't do it, because we don't, <laughs> my son Aiden he loves to exercise and work out ever since he was little like six push-ups sit-ups I'd be in the kitchen cooking he'd be like mom I'm doing 50 push-ups I'm like a weirdo I mean no one's even telling him he just loves it he loves the burn he was he loves to run he times himself he loves he loves the burn all we'll go hiking together and it'll start I'll be going oh god I gotta I gotta wait a minute I gotta sit down. <laughs> my legs are burning he's like oh yeah that's when it that's when it's getting good, when it starts burning, and then you know you're getting a good workout. I'm like, I don't. I, we avoid the burn. <laughs> you know, thrives on the, the burn. But it is true when you think about it. That's how you know it's working. That's how you know you're working out hard enough that you're gonna get a result. So when we're doing something and we face resistance, just let it fuel you. I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. This is what the devil fears. This is what people around me are discouraging me from because maybe they don't have the guts to step out and do something different. So it's easier for them. They feel more comfortable if everyone will just stay in their comfort zone. Don't step out of your comfort zone and make it obvious that I don't want to step out of my comfort zone. Right? That's something that really and truly happens, not by bad people, by people that we love even, but not everyone wants to step out of their comfort zone. Not everyone wants to push themselves to grow because growing is painful. So we can sit still. We can do the easy thing, but we're never going to build any muscle. We're never going to get any stronger. We're never going to be any better laying around on our couch reading magazines and eating bonbons. Sure, it's a pleasant life. It feels not intimidating, not much is expected. That's nice. I mean, I love to do nothing. I really do. I love to do nothing, but I don't wanna do nothing all the time. I like to have phases where I do nothing, but then I also love to have phases where I know I'm being pushed and I'm being stretched because I don't wanna waste my time if I'm going to do it, I want to do it all the way. I want to do the best that I can. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have a bunch of regrets. What if I would have? I wish I would have just tried that. I wish that I would have pushed myself to be better and to be more. You know? I want every experience I can have, spiritually and in adventure. You know, in things that I do, I I tried scuba diving super scary, but it was something that I wanted to try. I don't know if I'll ever try it again because I really didn't love it, but, but I didn't want to look back and regret that I didn't at least try. Everybody I was with was doing it, and I just thought that is something I want to do, but I'm real scared of that. I'm kind of claustrophobic, and I'm kind of scared. That I think there's dragons and stuff in the ocean, you know, all the old maps, if you look at really old maps, there's dragons on there. So I feel like way back, sailors must have been seeing that stuff. I don't know. And then when I was young, I saw a movie about something, I don't even know what it was called. I didn't even see the whole movie, but I saw it. This just goes to show you how important it is what you guard, guard what you see. So many years ago, I still think of it every time I get in the ocean. There, there was some ocean thing going on. People were going down in a submarine, and they went way, way, way down in the ocean to where it was dark. And then they saw stuff <laughs> that, so scary, they were having heart attacks and stuff. I never forgot that. It just impressed me so much that it made me kind of scared of the unknown. And, and I think we know that there's stuff in the ocean that we don't know about. There are so many unknowns. I don't really like unknown things like that. So I don't, I'm thinking, why am I gonna try scuba diving? I don't really wanna see a shark that's not in a picture or behind glass. I don't wanna see an eel. I would like to see a turtle maybe if it's far away, but the only thing I really wanna see is fish. So why am I even trying this? But I think it was just this. Um, I don't know. I I honestly do like to do hard things. I like to push myself to try to do hard things because I don't want to be ruled by fear. I don't want I don't want to be unwise and doing things that are so risky that it's foolish. But I also don't want to miss out on things because I'm too scared to try it. So I thought I'm gonna try it. We went through the training. It was me and John, that's my husband's name, and Aiden, my son, and then like everybody my whole family, not Seth, My so most of my family, a couple of friends, we go out there, they're all excited, I'm feeling like I'm gonna panic, and I was in another country, I was in Roatan, that made it a little more scary-ish, because uh, then I'm questioning the equipment, <laughs> the quality of the equipment, but we get way out there in the ocean, and I get in the water, and everyone's going down, and I can't do it, I just feel and the instructor is so good and so nice and he stayed right with me and kept trying to talk me through it. And I would start to go down and I would start feeling the pressure. Something I didn't know and wasn't expecting is when you go underwater like that, there's a lot of pressure. It it feels like someone's squeezing you or something. There's a lot of pressure on your body. Well, I didn't know that that was gonna happen. So that kind of, freaked me out because I felt that feeling and I thought, oh no, oh no, something's wrong, I can't do it. And so I come back up and I'm telling oh gosh, I don't know, I'm, in- I'm literally embarrassed and I'm out there holding up everyone because I can't make myself do it. Everything in my body, everything in my mind is screaming, this is not normal. People do not breathe underwater. You know, and what was making me feel claustrophobic was you can only breathe in this mouth. And I've told that to people, and everyone says, how do you feel claustrophobic under the ocean? It's so vast. Well, the way you feel claustrophobic is because you can only breathe through something that big. Little tiny thing that you can breathe through, and then as you go down, everything's squeezing you. And then there's, I thought it was gonna be silent under there, and it's not. It's really noisy. There's a lot of noise, like a kind of a roar sound. So I came back up. I literally came back up like four or five times. I'd get down a little farther and I would be like, no, I can't do it, and I would go back up the rope. And what was freaking me out is once you get down there, you can't just decide to come back up. This is why I think I won't do it again because I don't like to feel completely out of control. And when you're down there, if you decide you don't like it, you can't just shoot to the top or you'll die. Like, you have to do this really slow, gradual process. So if I get down there at the bottom of the ocean and I panic and I think I can't, I am looking at 10 minutes before I'm at the top. And that's what was, it was just scaring me. So finally, I made it. I started going down. He kept telling me, I'm going to help you. Just watch me. You can do this. You can do this. And the thing that made me finally do it is he said, you're going to regret it if you don't you sit on the boat and wait and everyone else comes up you're going to regret that you didn't try it and i thought that's true that is so true i don't want to regret it so he said just watch me just watch me and i will help you so he was this close to me and we went down this rope down this rope down this rope and i would start to feel panicked and he would say watch me watch me just do what i say so i was doing everything he said and i finally got to the bottom 47 feet down for 45 minutes, and I was half panicked the entire time, so that's why I don't know if I love it or hate it, because the whole time I would love it, I would be looking around, this is amazing, it's like a whole other world down there, I was just in such awe, and then suddenly panicked. My heart would race. I feel like I was just going to pass out almost. I would just start feeling, thinking about where I was and what I was doing. And I can't breathe, really. And I can't go to the top, and I'm so out of control. That is so much like everything we do in life. We commit ourselves to something that we're scared of, and we do it, and then we think, this is awesome, this is wonderful, and then all of a sudden, all the fear and all the doubt And something feels hard and you think, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I just want to get to the top where it's what I know. It's what I'm comfortable with. It's a sure thing, right? It's a sure thing when you're up there on the boat that you're going to be able to breathe. But what if something goes wrong and you're 45 feet down at the bottom of the ocean and suddenly you can't breathe? you only have a certain amount of control. So the whole time I was down there, I went back and forth the entire time, loving it, hating it, loving it, hating it, having to literally talk myself through it. Such a mind over matter moment for me. The reason I cherish the experience is because I learned something about myself, is I've always thought with my kind of claustrophobic thing that I would completely freak out if I ever got trapped in a situation. But I learned about myself that I can control that. It's hard. You have to focus really hard on controlling it. But I would have to, half of the time I was down there, I was having to focus so hard on making myself relax, making myself just breathe, just do it, just breathe. Don't let yourself freak out, because if I panic, there's real trouble. But just trust the process. Everything he told me was gonna work, it worked. I just had to trust the process and do what he taught me to do, relax, just relax into it, let yourself just let it happen. And I have found from that time till now in so many different things I've done, even in everyday life, if I trust the process and I just take a deep breath and keep doing what I know to do, the fear subsides, it starts working starts clicking. You're thinking, hey, I'm awesome. I'm doing this. It's working. I'm stronger than I thought. I'm braver than I thought. This is actually so cool. I would never have seen this if I had not risked it. I would have never experienced this if I had not been brave enough to do it. But I had to constantly, the whole time, be talking myself through it. Talking myself out of panic. But if we really want to If we really wanna tap into what's available to us, experiences that we otherwise won't have, callings that we otherwise won't fulfill, we have to be willing to take the risk. We have to talk ourselves through it and convince ourselves, basically, that we can do it. We want it. If you want it bad enough, if you're determined to make it happen, this is with anything in life. This is with God, this is with school, this is with jobs, it's with relationships. Everything puts you out there. People are afraid to love because they're afraid of being vulnerable and being hurt. And you know what love is? Guaranteed hurt. That's what love is. If you love someone or something or anything, you're for sure somewhere along the line gonna be disappointed, hurt, heartbroken. I mean, it's impossible for it to not happen. But the alternative is to avoid that and never have that beautiful experience of loving something or someone and being loved in return because we were too afraid of the hard part there's a hard part in everything there's a hard part in never loving and never being loved loneliness unfulfillment boredom you know whatever comes with that There's a negative in everything. Everything has a pro and a con. So we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to take a risk. We have to be willing to find our calling and then pursue it. Figure out what we're doing here on earth. Figure out what am I supposed to be doing? What need am I supposed to be meeting? What person can I reach that no one else can reach? Why did God create me? What am I meant for on this Earth? We have a certain space of time. You know, there's no guarantee that we're going to live a long, full life. There's a no guarantee that the, the only way we can stay entirely safe is to just stay indoors and do nothing but breathe. And then all we're doing is staying alive. We're not fulfilling our purpose, our calling. We're not enjoying the journey. We're just staying safe and breathing, and that's all. And there's no point in that. There's no purpose in that. So when we're trying to find our purpose and our calling and what am I going to do to make a difference? How am I going to leave this world a better place than I found it? How am I going to create a life that pleases God and a life that praises God? And that's something I really want. I don't want to just save myself. I want to be saved. But I don't want to just think only about me. I want to help other people. I want to make other people's lives better. I want to help other people found the, find the peace that I have found. I want to help other people find the salvation that I have found. And then I want God to be proud of me. I want my life to praise God. I want my life to please God. I want him to be glad he created me. You know, I want him to look at me and say, Tasha, she's doing the best she can with everything I gave her. And I'm going to bless her because I know she's going to do her best. That's all that's expected of any of us is just for us to do our best. So the way, the way that I would say if you are a person who's looking to find your calling and looking to find your purpose because you know you want to do something for God and you don't want to just waste your time and waste your life— this is the way that I say you find what you're supposed to do. Dedicate some time to tuning into your intuition, to tuning into the voice of God in your life. Learn the voice of God and how He speaks to you. I believe that He kind of leads and speaks to people in all different ways. I've learned how God speaks to me, and I know how He impresses things upon me. I don't get an audible voice. But I get a feeling, and I follow that feeling. I follow peace. I follow what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And sometimes the way I'll even pray about something is, God, is this the right thing for me? What am I supposed to do in this situation? You know, give me a peace. Give me a feeling about what I'm supposed to do. If this is not the right thing, give me a feeling that it's not the right thing. Because for me, that's just the way that it works for me. It's the other people have totally different ways that God speaks to them. That's the way God speaks to me. And that's why I've learned that something very important for me is every day I have to take a few minutes to be still, to be by myself, and to just listen, to just listen. We spend the vast majority of our life so busy and bulldozing full force ahead with our schedules and our to-do lists and all of the things that we're doing that a lot of times the answers we're seeking are right in front of us, but we don't hear them because we're too busy plowing over them because we don't take time to sit and listen. Just let God impress upon you what he wants, what he's saying, where he's leading you, and he will lead you. if You, you have to give him time. You have, to, you have to keep doing it and give him time to speak to you. When I quietly sit and I ask, I get an answer. Almost always. Not always the answer I want. Things don't always happen in the time frame that I want. But I have learned that God's timing is the best timing. I believe his promises. I know that things are working in my life, in my family, in all the things that I pray about. I know that God is working. The way I know he's working is because his word says he's working. Because there are certain things I can look and I cannot see him working. It looks like it's getting worse. It looks very hopeless. But I know he's working. Because he said he's working. And I trust it. And I believe it. And I hang on to it. And that's what gives me hope. That it's going to all work out for my good. My lost loved ones that I'm so burdened about it looks like things are getting worse. But instead of letting that discourage me, I've decided that I choose to just focus on the fact that God's working, he's moving. Somehow, some way, he's reaching, he never stops reaching. And so it's a choice and a decision we have to make when we look around and we don't see it. We have to make up in our minds, i know he's doing it and i choose to believe that he is you can choose to doubt it just as easily as you can choose to believe it i didn't pay attention to what time it was when i got up here i've been talking a long time see that's the other thing is i don't speak a whole ton so when i have a time frame how do you gauge that how do you gauge a time frame how do i know what's going to fit into 30 minutes or what's going to fit into an hour But I'm just about done with my main point is um, about listening. Listening to what God wants you to do. And if you're going to listen, you have to be quiet enough and still enough to be able to hear him. We ask for answers, but we don't give God time enough to answer them. The closer we stay to God, the more we know his heartbeat. The closer we stay to God, the easier it is for him to speak to us. Because if we're standing super close we can hear a tiny little whisper but if we're far from God sometimes we can't even hear him if he's yelling I don't want God to have to do something extreme to get my attention if God's trying to speak to me I don't want to have something tragic happen into my life to where I turn to him because I have no other hope I want God to be able to do that Speak to me in that way just by standing next to me and whispering it in my ear. And sometimes God will do drastic things to get our attention. Because his main purpose is for us to be saved. That's more important than anything. And if we're not going to listen to the quiet whisper, he'll start speaking louder. And he'll start doing more extreme things to get our attention. Because his whole goal is to see us saved. And if we're not gonna listen to the loud voice, then he's gonna start yelling because he's never gonna give up on us. He's never gonna give up. Paisley, will you come here for a second? I wanna show you a visual that I feel like helps me. So Paisley's God and I'm me. And if I'm standing really close to Paisley, especially if I have my arm around her and I'd be really still and quiet. Like I can literally feel her breathing. Like, if she moves at all, I can feel it. If she swallows very hard, you know, I could hear it because I'm so close to her that I can feel her breath. I could hear her voice. She would barely have to whisper, and I can hear her because I'm so close to her and in tune with her. And then, would you come and you be? There are so many things that can get between me and me and God, and a lot of them are good things, jobs family, school, those are all good things, but they can still get between me and God if I don't put them in their proper place, if I anything I allow to distract me from God is going to become a problem. So now, let's have you be um, plans your own plans. Got a plan? Got all these things I'm going to do and accomplish? And... That comes first before the will of God. You know, people literally make up their mind. They have a plan. I'm going to be a criminal lawyer. doesn't matter what God has for me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make all the money. I'm going to, whatever your goal is. You know, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a teacher. If you're not even considering what God's purpose is for you before you're making plans, you're putting that between you and God. So now, I can still reach God. See? Still close enough. Still touch. If, if Paisley whispered a little bit of a louder whisper. I could still hear her. So she's, it's still attainable. It's all okay. I mean, I'm still right there. I can touch her anytime I want. But, you know, I can't feel her breathe. I, can't, I, I do have to work a little harder to put my hand over here. And then would you come? We'll have you be some, something else. So plant, God plans you be job or school whichever phase you're in, so busy, so busy with job and school that now my arm doesn't even reach God. But I can still talk, you know, we can still talk. We're not so far that I can't hear. So if Paisley says something, even in a loud whisper, I can still hear. But now, you know, I can't just barely move and feel God have to work a little harder. He has to speak a little louder because I've allowed my own plans and then my career, my job, and my work to come between me and God. And then would you come? She'll be guilt. Guilt, fear, shame. I mean, you could name it anything. But now she is guilt. Maybe the guilt is, there could be a lot of reasons we feel guilty, especially if you're a mom, right? So maybe it's guilt because I know that I've put my own plans above God's plans for me. Or I know that my priorities are mixed up and I've got my career more important than my walk with God. But I'm still doing it, even though I know that's probably not the best plan. So guilt is putting me this much farther from God. Now can't even reach, even if God puts his hand, we, we're so far we can't reach. I mean, this could go on and on. I could h- end up with 50 people up here to where shame, guilt, fear, doubt, boyfriends, um, disobedience, all the things that just push us farther and farther and farther away from God until God is so far from me because of things that I've allowed to come between me and him that now we have to yell like he has to yell to get my attention he has to do something extreme he can't just whisper I don't even know him well enough to know is he, if he's breathing if he you know I can't feel the movement that God is making I can't I don't know the temperature of him. When I'm standing super close to Paisley and we're touching, I can literally feel the warmth of her body. But now look how far she is because of things that have come between me and her. And if we, thank you, you guys. If we want to know the voice of God the most easily and we want to be in tune with him and listening, we have to stay close. Our relationship with Him has to be number one. A lot of the things that I was mentioning here are good things that we should do. We should have goals, ambitions, education, family, responsibilities, but they can't come before your your walk with God. When we stand before God, we're standing there alone. We're not answering for our children, we're not answering for our jobs. We're, we're going to stand before God and answer for what we did with our time, what we did with our life, whether or not we made him a priority. And if we really believe that the Bible is true, if you really believe that the Bible is the word of God, then we're not going to let ourselves be lost. If we really believe in heaven or hell, we're going to do whatever it takes for us to get there. And I really think that, you know, people lose out with God, people backslide, and you think, why? What what got in the way? You know, what happened? There's offenses, there's carnality, there's there's so many different things that pull people away from God. But I really think that the bottom line is if you really love God and you really want to be saved and you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, there's nothing that could stand in the way of that. I'm not without offenses. I've not escaped offense. I've not escaped carnality. I've not escaped discouragement. I've had all of those things. The difference of why I'm still standing and some of my friends aren't is just because I refused to give up. Because I made up my mind, I am going to be saved. And that's all we really have to do. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have hard things. It means that you've determined, I believe the Bible I believe in heaven, and I believe in hell, and I'm choosing which one I want to go to. Amen. So if we could just, if everyone would stand for a minute, I would like for us to all just pray together and tell God just, the way I talk to God is literally, I mean, if I'm really praying or praying in the Holy Ghost, it's different. But when I'm just talking to God, which is my favorite way to pray. I just talk to him just like I would talk to you. I talk to him like he's a friend and I just tell him all my concerns and all my worries and all the things that I'm thankful for. That's a key. Every day, tell God the things you're thankful for. Don't just bring him your worries and your concerns. Who wants to hang out with a friend who's always telling you everything that's wrong? Or who wants to hang out with somebody who's always telling you everything they want you to do for them? That's the worst We avoid people like that. If every time we see them, they're like, oh, hey, could you, um, I need this, I need that. Could you do this? Could you help me out with this? All the time, that friend is high maintenance. We want friends that are telling us, encouraging us, making us feel better, inspiring us, motivating us. That's what we need to remember when we're talking to God. I have some needs. I have some wants. I have some problems. But God already knows what those are. So when I just focus on saying, God, I love you. I am so thankful that I know you. I'm so thankful that you know the path I take. I know that you know where I'm at. I don't even have to tell you what's hard in my life because you already know. And I know that you're working on it. So if we will focus on thanking him for working on it instead of reminding him of all the hard things, he's going to be more motivated, I believe he's going to be more motivated to help us out. When you give someone a gift and they love it and they're super excited and they're thanking you and thanking you, don't you want to give them more gifts? But if you give someone a gift and they're like, oh, yeah, and that's all, you just feel like, well, that's a bummer. I'm not going to give you another gift. Or they don't even say thank you. You just think, okay, take note. They don't really like gifts. I'm not going to give them a bunch more gifts. But when I have a friend who's like, "This is the, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. You're the best. Thank you. The more dramatic they are, the more I want to buy them stuff. Right? So why do we not take that mentality with God? God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you that I even have the opportunity to choose you know how many people don't have the opportunity to choose? If you're sitting in this room today, that means you have the opportunity to choose. There are people who don't get the chance to choose. I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to choose God. I'm so thankful that I know he has my back. I'm so thankful that God knows where I'm at. He sees me. He's working in my favor. He's doing everything he can to draw me to him. I just have to step out, and I have to make the change. I have to be what I need to be to fulfill my purpose. In Jesus' name, let's pray.